to Fanatsu. Um, a very uh, very cool opportunity has uh, shown itself in that we have a guest here from Kobe University, um, international relations student, um, uh, master's, PhD? Master's. master's. Awesome, yeah. Cool. Um, and if you could just uh, uh, reintroduce yourselves again uh, for, our, for our listeners. Um, just uh, when, when you're speaking into the microphones, try and get uh, up close. Um, so we pick up all the audio and, uh, yeah. Hi, I'm Madi Shibue. I'm studying international relations in Kobe University Graduate School. Thank you. Hi, Mari. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. Hello, I'm Fumitaka Kikuchi. I'm and I'm also a student in Kobe University like Mari. Uh, thank you. Awesome. And then we're also joined by a uh, reporter, um, Miyagi, from the Okinawa Shinbun. No, no, Ryukyu. Oh, oh Ryukyu. Ryukyu Shinbun. Um, reporter. Uh, I'm also a reporter, by the way, uh, for a local paper here. So, uh, for the Guam Daily Post, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so um, if you can, uh, would you uh, introduce yourself, please? My name is Miyagi Takahiro. I represent the Ryukyu Shinbo, Shinpo in Okinawa. And I'm here for a, uh, uh, to find out what the people of Guam are thinking. And of course, this is in regards to uh, colonialism and political status. Because I'm pretty sure that people on Guam are thinking a lot of things right now. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So, and then of course, we're, we're also joined by Alina and Jeremy, who joined us last last episode. And uh, BJ, um, it's been a while, man. Uh, what have you been up to lately? <coughs> uh, I've been working on a few different projects. I don't want to jinx them. But saying what they're going to be about because in, the, in freelancing you never can be sure what's going to fall through or not but i'm keeping myself busy and out of trouble but uh i've definitely been listening to the, the movement as it's been going on and wanted to uh check in and you guys and see what kind of mischief is uh, i've been missing out on <laughs> so um i know some, your facebook posts um I see you in, in your like magnum, your magnum outfit. Um, is that still going on? Are you still filming or? Oh, that was, that was a project that was finished. Um, I'm in between different little film projects. Awesome. Staying within the genre so far of uh, action. Yeah, And um, you, you sort of had to uh, beef up for that role, right? Like, yeah. A little bit. But, um, I you know, lose a couple pounds <laughs> in preparation for the roles, partly, partly also to be able to do the, the stunt work and the fight scenes. Awesome. That's cool. Good stuff. So, so what we're going to do, um, it's a little bit different. Um, 
Miyagi is here to, uh, like he said, to find out what the people on Guam are thinking in regards to political status, uh, colonization, and uh, decolonization. Um, so uh, we're sort of going to we're going to co-host this episode. Um, I'll be uh, we'll be we'll be passing the mics around. Miyagi will be asking questions. Um, we'll all tr- we'll all do our best to respond. And um, yeah, well, we'll just see where it goes from there. So, Miyagi. と、日本語で、すいません。あの、今日はインデペンデント uh, first, I'd like to thank uh, the Independent Guahan uh, group to be here to listen to my uh, question. And uh, the question that I'd like to ask each and every one of you here is that, do you consider yourself as a Chamorro? And the next thing is, what direction What direction do you think, as a Chamorro, be taking uh, either as a statehood or independent or as a um, free association? And I'd like to find out uh, each and everyone's uh, opinion on that. Yeah, so, um, so question one, uh, yeah, I guess this goes for all of us with the exception of uh, Jeremy and our, our new friends. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, uh, so for question number one, um, do I identify myself as Chamorro? The answer is yes. Uh, ethnically, I am Chamorro. Um, and I'm also partial to independence because I, I'm on the independence uh, mm-hmm. task force. <laughs> um, I, I do think it's uh, I think it's the best option. Um, my educational background, uh, I have a master's in English and, uh, you know, looking at rhetoric, looking at the wording um, and the meaning behind independence. Uh, in a, in a rhetorical sense, uh, independence is the, the strongest uh, statement you can make against uh, uh, colonialism. Um, to decolonize completely, to become an independent nation, that is um, that's the strongest uh, response to to that that I can that I can think of within the three statuses, of course. So, BJ. All right. Um, well, yes, I identify as Chamorro. Also, uh, Caucasian, uh, a mix, uh, a mestizo. Um, and uh, both as a Chamorro and as a, a Guamanian, a full Guamanian, um, I am for independence. I believe it is the, the best option for the, the survival of uh, the society here on Guam uh, for all peoples. And um, I think even bad government from one's own, own people is better than good government from colonizers. But those are by no means our only options. We can work off the uh, successes and failures of other decolonization movements. And um, being late in the game historically can help us pick um, what best works for us as a future 
independent country. So I do identify as Chamorro, um, even though I am also half Caucasian. Um, I thought a lot about this question today um, as we were taking our friends from Kobe around the island and listening to the high school students and then listening to the heads of each um, task force, whether from independence, free association, and statehood. And in my, what I think the, you know, best future would be for Guam, and the, it might be idealistic as critics have said or fanciful, um, but a future where the Chamorro people have the right to um, decide for themselves, their government, their land, um, where they have the freedom to choose for themselves and not be um, subjects under just another colony. I think that is a future I would love to see, and I would love to see the Chamorro people fully embracing who they are and their heritage and their history. And um, I think independence is definitely the way that that would have to happen. Also, um, I, I would also be careful about, uh, like, you know, when we need to talk about identity and um, I'm half this, I'm half that, like, uh, that can that can get really dark really quick, I think, um, mm -hmm. especially when, you know, when people use it in a way that's uh, harmful to indigenous people. Like, yes. uh, um, you know, uh, whenever there is a news article um, regarding decolonization or political status, um, sometimes you'll get comments on the article uh, where people are like, there's no real Chamorros left. And what does that actually mean, you know, like to, to not have any real Chamorros? And I think people um, get too preoccupied with the idea of blood and yes. blood quantum and they use that sometimes as a justification uh for the wrongdoing that happens just because there's no pure um indigenous person on on this island and we know that's not true i mean alina myself and bj uh we're all here in the present day you know so i don't know you you guys are free to, to you know how, however you feel about that but i think as long as as long as you have ties here um you can trace your genealogy mm -hmm. and your ancestry back here then you know why not? So. The, the boyfriend? Oh, well, you know. He's not Chamorro. <laughs> that, that would be uh, um, Jeremy, a uh, newcomer to the island again. Yes. Um, not ethnically Chamorro, but, you know. But I mean, wh uh, where do you fit in on the uh, the political status scale and, uh, and you know. Like what, Marisamari or? No, 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 the political mm. status. Yeah. Statehood, free association, so, independence. So when you heard um, about uh, Alina's brother and all the crazy uh, uh, radical uh, decolonization yeah. stuff he does, were you kind of like freaked out or, you know? No. <laughs> these last three days when I was been showing these, when we've been taking the students around and learning more about Guam and 
they're they're learning it also so am i so it's kind of every stance i am kind of taking with a grain of salt no no i'm taking with a lot of uh, open-mindedness i guess you can say so I've we went to the meeting about two hours ago and when there is the independence a self-association free association and statehood and it was just it was very educational and opening to see all sides of how Guam wants to go and and it was very good I I enjoyed it awesome man. so, so uh, you want to be uh, Independent or still thinking? I'm still thinking. Still thinking. Yeah. yeah. So um yeah, Nick uh, Nicole just walked in. Um Nicole uh, Miyagi's first question was uh do you identify it? Oh I'll I'll pass the mic, yeah. Um I forgot where the, the tie thing is there and I just <laughs> Yeah. So uh but yeah, so Miyagi's first question, um, do you identify as Chamorro? Um and out of the three political statuses, um uh, obviously <laughs> Which, which do you think is the best um, direction for Guam? Hi, um, and what was it again? Um, <laughs> oh yes, I, I identify as Chamorro, yes. Um, I'm half Chamorro, but I, I do identify as, as Chamorro predominantly. That's what I fill out on my forms as I put Chamorro. Um, and yeah, I definitely support independence for sure more than anything. I feel like, uh, I feel like after everything that we've been through with Spain, the U.S., Japan, the U.S. again, I feel like independence is really our only way to go at this point. Awesome. All right. So, awesome. So Miyagi, question number two. <laughs> あの、沖縄も似ているんですが、グアムの産業は観光産業が一番で、その次に米軍関係の産業があるということですけれども、独立をした時にどうやって経済的に自立していったらいいと思ってますでしょうか。uh, Okinawa and Guam has the same similarity where the uh, main industry is tourism and the military uh, so uh, if you were to be independent, how would you uh, continue with the economy, with the uh, tourism and the, uh, the military? So here we can uh, oh, we'll pass it over here on this side. But um, here you go. All right, so I'm, I'm really glad you asked that question. Um, I'm actually uh, I'm rereading uh, Franz Fanon right now. So um, uh, I finished his his uh, first book, uh, Black Skin White Masks, and uh, right now I'm uh, I'm I'm trudging my way through um, what is it called, The Wretched of the Earth. Have you um, have you guys read it? No. Oh well, uh, he was a uh, he was a Caribbean um, theorist and a psych psychologist, but um, like during the uh, the French Algerian War, he uh, was uh, sent there as a medic 
Um, and then uh, while he was there, he he began to see the plight of the the um, the people of Algeria, you know, and he he eventually sided with them. And um, he he's he his his work is like a cornerstone of a, a post-colonial uh, theory. But anyways. So I know it all sounds really boring, and <laughs> but um, but there, there's something that uh that Franz Fanon says there, and that's uh the economy of of the colony, as it exists um in the, in its current state, is only uh is suited only to sustain itself. Uh, so um, the, if we were to apply that to the situation today, um, uh. It's no, it's no wonder why military and uh, tourism are two biggest uh, drivers of the economy. It's because it's good for the American economy and it's good for American capital, and that's how they want things, um, you know, to sustain the the current the colonial structure. Um, in order to to decolonize, uh, we have to think about. Uh, we have to start new. We have to start with a, a clean slate, and we have to begin to imagine our own industries outside of uh, those two sectors. So, I think it's totally doable. Um, I've shared in the past that I could totally see Guam becoming like some tech hub in the Pacific. Uh, you know. Uh, because of our, our location, um, the American um, or you know the Department of Defense has utilized our strategic location for uh, for military purposes. But I think we could totally become a hub for uh, Asia Pacific um, uh, trade and uh, and technology. Um, that could be a, a really big driver, I think, for our economy. BJ. <coughs> Yeah, that was actually both our answers. Um, th that was basically my answer too um, to the question of for those. Yeah, for those uh, just tuning in, the yeah. question was: uh, Is it economically possible for Guam to become its own independent country, considering the you know people have their doubts concerning the size, the population, um, and the Mm. Well, I use this phrase a lot, the Stockholm Syndrome of being so dependent on others to make decisions for us. And uh, the first thing I do is remind people, or at least give them the, the basic introduction to the process of decolonization, that ideally it, it takes years for even if the United States decided to go along with it and support the movement, then it takes years, um, maybe even decades, for a, a good system to get um, constructed um, and implementations of new laws and sovereignty. And uh, of course, early on, a education system uh, ideally starting with uh, the very young in the elementary schools. So let's say after 20 years of a progressive decolonization process where you have money invested in education from the youth into the universities, then the next generation of Chamorros and Guamanians 
will be smart enough to figure things out for themselves as far as the what industry what industries to get into um, medicine or biology or nanotechnology we don't know at this point um, but we have to start that that educational process uh, for the youth and it's not a, a overnight uh, scary scenario that many people think of when it comes to decolonization. So that is the first myth I try to to dispel. Nice. Thank you. So something that I uh, experienced today when we went to the high school and talked to some 16, 17, 18-year-olds was um, I could see the effects of colonization on these kids. And it was that they had no even, could not even imagine um, a life on Guam where the US was not a part of us. And they didn't necessarily want to imagine that. Um, all of them said we are very thankful for the US military. They keep us safe. They're going to protect us. And they said, you know, yeah, they took our land, but you know, that's how it is. No. It was it was really hard to listen. And I, you know, I don't want to be too forceful or say anything. You know, that I get, might get a parent call. But, you know, um, but uh, hearing that was difficult because these are young people and these are the future generations of um, you know those on Guam who are you know eventually going to be maybe in power voting and they feel so pessimistic already about the future of Guam and that we asked them um, Professor Alexander asked them uh, in your lifetime and these are remember very young students do you believe that you will see a changed political status, whether it's statehood, free association, or independence? And not one student raised their hand. Mm. They did not believe ever. And, you know, that sort of pessimism, it was very sad to see yeah. already that young. How much, though, um, I wonder is is that the effect of like, how much how how telling is that of their their actual status? I mean, you know, at the home, um, you know, in, in the newspaper all the time, uh, they're always uh, talking about the the public hospital, and how um, you know people aren't paying their bills, and so the hospital isn't getting the funding that it needs either from the federal government or um, reimbursements from the people of Guam who are seen there, and. Um, there isn't much that um, that the hospital can do because uh, a large um, segment of our population is uh, um, lower socioeconomic classes, and so these are people who maybe can't afford to to pay their hospital bill. So, and given that, I mean, uh, the, these students, what what sort of conditions are they going through at home that makes them feel um, not only hopeless about um, political status, but maybe even about their own futures and uh, maybe, um, you know, unsure about themselves, too. So, I don't know. I just want to throw that out there. Yeah. If you have if you have an answer, I would love to hear. Yes. Um, 
money. It takes a lot of time to from to start from zero mm-hmm. to create everything. So it takes a lot of time and maybe you need a lot of money. So where's the resource? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is it possible? create a sustainable society mm. mechanism yeah so oh yeah I think it's uh I think it is sustainable uh, I mean uh, Chamorro culture and a lot of uh, Pacific cultures uh, are are based around sustainability and uh, a lot of that has to do also with um, how you manage your natural resources with the uh, fish um, um, plants and stuff like that so um, our culture is based on sustainability um, but again, the other part of your question was uh, where are the resource is going to come from to to kickstart that. Uh, so, um, as I understand it, um, through the, the the United Nations process for decolonization, um, it could take up to thirty years for a full transition from uh, territory to independent um, independent nation. And so, in those thirty years, um, Guam would be working with the United States to um, to shift uh, power and control from the federal government to the people of Guam. So, and in those 30 years, uh, we would find replacements for, um, for current uh, offices and agencies. And uh, I think that's where we'd, we'd have to begin exploring um, new industries and stuff. Um, again, just because uh, I, I was reading Fanon earlier, uh, like he talks about how like we shouldn't compare ourselves um to to the colonial government you know uh we should uh define for ourselves new new standards and new new values and stuff so i don't know oh what what are your thoughts i mean as a international relations uh student yeah Mm, i think it's very Yeah. So, as you said, maybe few people can 
live sustainable in Guam, doing fishing, mm -hmm. agriculture. But I don't know how many people will live Guam because yeah. you choose, they choose mm -hmm. sustainable life. Yeah. So from my view, if 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 Guam chose in individual, independent, independent, so they need to create new industry except Yeah, yeah. I I totally agree. Um, actually, I mean personally, I would love to see like a descaled uh, military presence here. I would love that. Um, but again, like we would have to. Uh, begin creating new industries, which I think is, is uh, viable. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, uh, well, I want to know your understanding, too, of a, a free association, because, I mean, the way I see it is, like, um, free association is, like, sort of like independence, but um, the United States still has, uh, you know, certain controls over you, and... I don't, I'm personally, like, maybe uh, on an emotional level, I, I don't agree with that, yeah. So, I don't know. But, do you guys have anything to add to that? Or? Yeah. Yeah? So, here you go. Oh, sorry. I hope I didn't mess with those things. So, a lot of a lot of people when they think about independence um, the big thing is that they're scared right they don't know what's gonna happen next they don't know about the future they don't know um, you know where our money is gonna come from how we're gonna get our support all the federal funding is gonna be pulled but a lot of people don't understand that independence just means having a seat at the table to negotiate you know it means that we we can we have a right to talk about it to tell them no we don't want this yes we want this you know we have we have power it gives us power right to say that uh we don't want the military here or we do want the military here or whatever um and a lot of people think independence automatically means all of the americans leave right or all of the the military leaves but um there's so many different ways that we can get uh, money into into our economy by by leasing out the land. You know, if if they if the Chamorro people so choose or vote on it, you know, to rent land to the military instead of having it the military own the land. Um, you know, and there's so many. You know, a lot of independent people are working towards coming up with different ways to promote the industry that Manny is talking about, like. Um, one of our friends talks about a water catchment system where we can catch rainwater using only a certain, a small percentage of the land and we could catch enough rainwater to bottle it and sell it internationally. So that could be one way to, to generate um, industry on Guam. You know, there's so many different ways to come up with things and a lot of people are afraid that if we become independent, we're gonna go back to living in, gra in huts and wearing grass skirts and no iPhones and no internet and no power but that's not true you know it's we're, we're in the 21st century and we're moving forward so we're definitely gonna still have internet and iPhones and you know power and everything we're just gonna have to work towards uh, sustaining it ourselves which I think the people of Guam I think we have enough smart young people um, coming up and and creating new things that we could become 
um, very successful without having to resort back to every single person having to farm or every single person having to fish. You know, I think that we're we're advanced enough to to become successful without having to revert to ancient ways. Yeah. So, as a reporter, um, I'm sure you cover a lot of uh, different beats and stuff, one of them being economy. Um, in Okinawa, um, do you think it's uh, it's viable um, that should, should Okinawa choose to become, I don't know, a free association of Japan or an independent uh, country itself, do you think it's totally possible that Okinawa could do that?沖縄は、マグアムと、え、主要な産業は観光。で、政府からの補助金に頼っている。で、ただ、え、沖縄の中で、え、今、あの、ま、自己決定権 in Okinawa, the, the one that makes the decision is a bit different. One of the big reasons is that the, the main national Japanese government is trying to uh, increase the, uh, the, the basis in Okinawa. <laughs> それは沖縄の意見を聞かずに日米両政府で決められました。え、え、え、え、え、え、え、え、え、え、え、え、え、え、え、え、え、え、え、え、え、え、え、え、え、え、え、え、え、え、え、え、え、え、え、え、え、え
country or an island, uh, they would have to revert back to uh, uh, eating potatoes and uh, uh, wearing sandals to sustain their lifestyle. <laughs> So within this uh, several years, uh, Okinawa has increased their tourism, and, and right now, whatever the the uh, Japanese national government has been giving to Okinawa to sustain their lifestyle, it's vice versa. Uh, the Okinawa government is giving more to 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 the national government. え、そういった状況もあって、え、沖縄の独立が今具体的現実的に議論され始めています。my personal opinion is also the same. We'd like to see Okinawa become independent. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, can I ask you, because I'm really interested in Okinawa, uh, should I ask in Japanese or in English? Japanese, and then you can translate. Okay, okay, okay. 僕も沖縄独立してしても構わないって言ったらすごく本当から言い方になるから申し訳ないんですけどそれべき あの、パスポートなしで行けるっていうのは大きなメリットじゃないかと思ってるので。you don't need a passport to go to Okinawa. Whereas if you come to Guam, you need a passport. So it's very convenient in, in order for them to, to visit Okinawa more than coming to Guam. Mm -hmm. So he would like to ask uh, Mr. Miyagi, what is your perspective in, in that? Mm. ま、主に、ま、台湾、中国の方が多いですけども、以前は10%に満たなかったのが、今はもう、え、1割超えて、え、約だから2割以上になってるのかな、ちょっとそれ。で、で、オーバーシーズ、トゥーリストファンフロム
沖縄の観光産業の潜在的な力はまだまだ大きくて、でまあ、パスポートは確かに大きな問題にはなるかもしれないですけれども、それを上回るだけの観光地としての魅力はあると思います。Being able to not use the passport and be able to come to Okinawa plays another、uh, convenience, but at the same time, they have uh, created uh, other means of ways for them to come to Okinawa and enjoy the beautiful island. I think what's really interesting is that、uh, we, we obviously both、uh, feel so strongly about our own islands and our, our own archipelagos.、Um, And、uh, I- I'm curious,、uh, have you ever heard of、uh, Apeli Haopa? So、um, there's a, a Tongan slash Fijian scholar named Apeli Haopa. And I think in the 80s and, and 90s, he proposed the idea of um, uh, the blue continent um, and it,、uh, the, the sea of islands. So,、um, a lot of、uh, the American government,、um, and maybe the, the national Japanese government, they like to tell us that、um, we're small, we're isolated,、uh, because geographically we're on, the, on a tiny landmass in the middle of a vast ocean. えー、とある有名な、えー、方がいまして、やはり本,は本を書いてますけれども、あのー、この太平洋地域にはたくさんの島々がありまして、この島々は、えー、たくさんの,その、あのーリッチ、リッチカントリー、リッチアイデンということで、それで、あのー、ブルー、ああ、ブルーブコンティネントね、the sea of islands。海にある、えー、島々という。So, the idea there is that、um, the ocean isn't something that divides,、uh, that separates islands from each other. The idea is.、Um, The ocean historically、uh, has been it's sort of like a highway that connects islands to each other. So our, our people have been connected for thousands of years. So I don't think、um, that if, if Okinawa became an independent、uh, island, Nation.、Um, I don't think you would have to wear sandals if you didn't want to. <laughs> And I don't think you'd have to eat、uh, taro if you didn't want to. I think、um, that we could support each other if we formed our own pacts, our own agreements,、um, and we forged those connections. We could, I think we could certainly、um, create a system of trade、um, where we connect islands to each other. <laughs>
Um, so 8,000 Marines plus plus their families. Uh, yes, and of course all the infrastructure needed for that. Um, it's um, now interesting scenario because it seems like it's going to happen. Like you know, the military buildup on Guam is happens with with our blessings or not. It, maybe the size or the schedule depends on how much. Res resistance to it there is but um, it should be kept in mind that um, there can be a, uh, a healthy relationship with some military on Guam provided we think about the idea of the US military as more guests than live-in landlords. Mm. Yeah. Sometimes I give people the idea that what if the military were to pay rent here, as they do in many foreign countries around the world, and to the to the local people, to my fellow Chamorros, my fellow Guamanians. They think it's the most ridiculous idea. Like, what? The <laughs> America pays rent for America, and I thought, and I would say, well, actually, no. That's they're they're the foreigners. They're they don't live here really. They're stationed here, and um, Guam isn't really considered America in the ways that uh, America wants. Only in the ways that they want us to think of them to think of ourselves as America. When it's time for voting, we're not really Americans. When yeah. land is needed, yeah. then you know we gotta do what we have to for our America. I wanted to add to that too, that um, uh, not only do we already have uh, limited rights, but um, it just came out in the news today that uh, Donald Trump and uh, his board are considering stripping um, certain rights from, uh, from uh, colonies. Uh, so that we can all be uh, uniform. 
Um, I'm not sure exactly what that entails, because uh, I was just like, Psh, Donald Trump, whatever. Mm. Like, you know, but yeah, there, there is definitely an inequity there. So, and Nicole, you, you did mention a Latectin as, mm-hmm. as a case in point issue. Did you want to elaborate on that or at all? Yes, yeah, so Latectin, right, or Rotidian Point in English, is the oldest tumoral settlement um, in the world, right? Uh, there's artifacts there in this ancient land that dates back to four or 5,000 years ago, right? So um, this land, which partially, like, it used to actually belong privately to Chamorro families was taken away at the end of World War II. And because of the military buildup, they need a new place to put a firing range. And <clears throat> originally it was actually supposed to be at uh, this area on Guam called Pogget. And Pogget is actually another ancient Chamorro settlement. So they basically just bounced from from ancient land to ancient land here. So we fought them against taking Pogget, and so they gave up on Pogget and they moved to Latexen, and they're trying to put their military firing range at Latexen because the new Marines coming in need somewhere to train. And they just have complete disregard for um, first, like, Chamorro rights, right? Our ancient land, this is our ancestral land, and they're just bulldozing right over it, right? Laddie stones and pottery and all of our our ancient relics are there and they're just bulldozing it down. And um, not to mention the wildlife preserve, right? There's a wildlife preserve there with endangered animals that um, for sure this firing range is going to cause um, unknown damage to all of these these wildlife right um our fruit bats um all of our our cocoa like all of our our um indigenous animals are going to be affected because of this firing range and uh it's all because of the military buildup that's happening so I wanted to know, um, in, in you guys' perspective, uh, since you're, you're coming from a, a, uh, a mainland uh, Japanese perspective, um, uh, what, what is your, your knowledge of the military buildup and um, uh, how, do you, how do you guys feel about it? Yeah, I guess uh, in, in terms of like geopolitics and uh, all that stuff. In Japan? Um, yeah, from, from the, I, I, I would hate to say the Japanese perspective because I know that's a lot of pressure to put on both of you to represent all of Japan, but I mean, like, uh, um, to, to the best of, of, your, of your knowledge, what is your perception of, of the buildup? Um, is it good? Is it bad for geopolitics in Asia? And, um, you know. I know that um, there are a lot of problems if we build a base, uh, the people living near the base is suffering. Worrying about noise, and especially in Okinawa, there are some 
Good. So, so free, free association, boo. But uh, no, no buildup. Yes. So, but yeah. So, um, yeah. I, I, I appreciate that. Um, uh, I know in, in in Okinawa, the the presence of the military is is uh, way more noticeable. Um, and I suppose uh, when you go to uh, mainland Japan, um, the only time you ever really uh, um, notice the military presence is when you're when you're near like uh. uh Yokosuka, that's a military base, right? Yes. And then, um, what what other bases are there in the mainland? Sasebo. So, mm, so like, so around around those bases, yeah, yeah. There's a lot. So, so I'm pretty sure those are, yeah, Kadena, yeah, right. So, yeah, um, in in Okinawa, they have a lot of social issues because of uh, because of the military presence. But um, in mainland Japan, do you guys get a sense of of some of the the social strife that occurs between um, military members and um, Japanese citizens? Oh. Actually, I lived in Chigasaki, near Yokosuka, so when I was a university student, so so the airplane uh, flies uh, uh, up. Mm. Over, overhead? Yeah, overhead. Yeah. So it was so noisy and I couldn't catch my professor. What my professor said hmm. the noise and when I take when I when I was taking up the airplane flies I'm I wake up and what happened after <laughs> Yeah. So I couldn't feel safe. Scared. Uh -huh. Of course I know it's safe but yeah. I know it's safe but I couldn't feel safe. So. Mm. I can say, 
I'm very hard to explain. It's very hard to explain in English. So like like anxious almost, right? Like. Sorry. <clears throat> it just you just reminded me of something because I saw um, on Facebook one of my aunts just posted something about um, being afraid because sorry let me pull it up she was afraid because she thought someone was breaking into her house she kept hearing the garage door rattling and shaking and she didn't know what was going on and let me read her her post she said the door to my garage just shook and rattled like someone was trying to break in thought about it then tried again no earthquake um, and then she said, turns out it was a military blasting at Northwest Field. I can only imagine what people who live near Northwest Field are experiencing. So it's the same here. Um, you know, my auntie was just taking a nap at home and then she thought someone was breaking into her house because all of the blasting from their bombs were going off, going off, that it was shaking the house. So it's it's really similar here, the same thing that, even though she doesn't live near the where they were bombing, it's still, Guam is so, small that you still feel everything you know so it's the same here yeah in the future if I have a children a child or children I don't want to raise my children near the base because of the these noises or other effects from this so we have to choose the place but maybe there's no place to build a base so it's very scary yeah so maybe we, we should just get rid of all the bases. No bases, <laughs> no military, no nukes, yeah? So that was a, very, that was a really cool question. Thank you. やってるこうモチベーションというか動機づけの部分っていうのはやっぱり自分たちのことを自分たちで決められるようになりたいっていうのが大事なんでしょうかいやいやいやいやいやいやいやいやいやいやいやいやいやいやいやいやいやいやい
Um, it feels like almost like a social uh, service that you're doing. Um, and uh, I don't know. I like uh, over the past year, I've, I've enjoyed seeing the progress that we've made um, because um, there, there's a noticeable difference. Uh, if you wanna, if you wanna look at analytics, um, you can look at our, our Facebook page. Um, when it started out, we only had a, a couple hundred uh, followers, but then we quickly grew. Um, we're in, I don't know how far along the thousands we are, but it's um, it's it's groundbreaking. I think, you know. Um, and it says something. And there's there's always like a, um, there's polls in uh, in the newspapers. And um, historically, uh, independence, when, whenever there's polls about political status, independence always comes in uh, comes in last. Um, it never uh, gets any anything greater than like eight percent. But then, um, just over the past year, um, in in some polls in the papers, uh, we've we've reached uh, pretty high numbers, where like 20, 20 to twenty five people percent of people on Guam will say they want independence now. So it's good knowing that we're making a difference. And also, um, I think the difference that we're making, it's, it's more, it extends beyond just like, just voting for independence, but um, it's uh, helping people to, to see that we, uh, we have potential and we can do things without the United States. And um, there's a lot of people on Guam and in other Pacific islands who uh, rely on uh, canned foods because of a history of um, you know getting our lands taken away. People couldn't farm anymore, and they they weren't uh, subsisting off the land. But um, um, you know when you talk to people about independence and um, you know overcoming uh, social situations and helping people understand that they can they can do things like plant their own foods um, and um, I don't know. There, there's a lot of a uh, there's a lot of emotion, and there's a lot of um, there's a lot of aspects to this whole thing. So it's an ideology. It's a social uh, project itself, and I don't know. BJ. Um, well, it's it's for pleasure, I suppose, in a way. It um, it's more like it's it's uncomfortable not doing anything. Um, and that makes me think of my lessons in American history, where people um, were thought of as as heroes historically when they um, are champions of the suffrage movement to get um, non-land-owning white males to vote. Um, and then, of course, the, the voting demographic became more inclusive over time because appeals for justice were made to those who could vote. So, for example, like, like the women's suffrage, the, the right for women to vote had to be done through uh, a lot of uncomfortable feelings made to people to have to think about it um, on the part of, you know, because of women and, uh, and men who um, took their side in the case for voting rights. And part of the reason why I'm, I'm on the podcast is, and why I, I send out my little political cartoons on Facebook mm -hmm. is because I can't vote for 
president uh, now that I'm back home on Guam because I can't um, I can't vote for a voting representative to um, to Congress. I can make an, a, a moral appeal to those in power in the United States um, to get things changed. Not necessarily for the right to vote, but for the right to vote for U.S. president or or to have voting representatives in um, in the House or Senate, but to to have a voice in a a Guam government for Guam or or Marianas, by the way, it's one other option I would take again instead of independent Guam would be an independent United Marianas. Yeah. <laughs> so just throwing that out there too. On that side of the table, anything here? So um, since I came to Guam, uh, I think a lot of people have just assumed uh, because I'm Miguel's sister that I just kind of following him around or he's making me, you know, have to do this. But um, I even had an auntie ask my mom, or she said, oh, so Alina's following in Miguel's footsteps, huh? And my mom even said, no, she's, no, she knows what she thinks is right, and she knows what she wants to do, and Miguel just happens to be there, you know, with a lot of information <laughs> and books. <laughs> and um, that's really, you know, growing up in California is a very different perspective about more issues and about Guam and um, you know immediately to me growing up and someone tells me that oh when you're on Guam you can't vote for president and like six-year-old me is like what that doesn't make sense and then you know um, oh they're going to build a firing range on a place that is sacred to Charles and you know immediately I think how is this ever okay you know it's not it's it's always an <coughs> issue of that i feel that the chamorro people are not being taken seriously and that that's why i choose to fight for our rights and our issues because i would love to see a future where we are taken seriously and our issues and our rights are important mm -hmm. and they're valued here on our island. Awesome. Cool. Nick or? Sorry. <laughs> no? I'm lost right now. Okay, okay, that's fine. Cool. Let's take a break. Let's take a break. Yeah, let's take a break. All right, we didn't need a translator for that. We're gonna take a break, um, and uh, we'll we'll get back right back at it. Um, yeah, this is this is awesome. I'm having fun. I hope you guys are too. So you think I'm okay oh. leaving my hotel at five o'clock? Five o'clock. Okay. I'll be there by five. Almost. This should be about an hour before. Mm -hmm. They're leaving soon. So. <laughs> But to be safe, uh, I, would, I would think that because that, that time you have Tokyo leaving, Osaka leaving, Nagoya leaving, 
All right. Oh, nope, still going. We're not. Okay, so, um, Miyagi, did you have any other uh, questions or? So I'll tell the yeah. So you can ask James. Yeah. Yes. Hi. Yes. Hi. Yes. Hi. Yes. Hi. 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 Uh, I'm sure you know the the late Angel Santos, um, who was a, a uh, who talked about uh, the uh, former senator, sorry, and uh, I think Miguel Sang was uh, was talking to a local Chamorro, and he that Chamorro individual mentioned about the activist uh, Angel Santos. What is your view about him? Oh. Anyone want to want to kick that one off? Or? Yeah, we have right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I mean, he's uh, he's an iconic figure. Um, he uh, he did a lot for the movement as far as uh, getting um, uh, original landowners their their land back. Um, he was in my perception effective in that he was able to take physical um physical action uh whether that be climbing a fence or uh camping out in front of the the lawn at the uh the governor's complex hu um hunger strike so he was able to do um um a lot of things that uh people might perceive to be uh, uh over the edge and radical yeah um I I don't know. I would also I wouldn't want to idolize him too much. I mean, like um, Melvin Wampet Borja. You know, he's come on the show before. He's uh, uh, one of the core members of Independent Guahan. You know, he he's said it uh, quite um, uh, succinctly, and that's a uh, angel is dead. You know, and um, to, and that, that me uh, when he was saying that it was in um in the reference of like uh you know like what are what are you gonna do like sure angel angel did all the all these things he's an iconic figure but uh you know he's gone now like um what can we do to progress the movement so i think you said it you said it really well manny yeah oh come on <laughs> My my tomorrow history is rusty, so <laughs> yeah. Oh. oh, just a question about Angel Santos and what we feel about Angel Santos. Yes, what you feel about. Ah, and so um, Angel Santos is a very interesting figure because he started his life like many Chamorros, feeling very uh, patriotic to the United States, and so. In one of his last interviews, he describes how when a relative of his was killed in the Vietnam War, he stood by the casket and he looked at his body and he hoped that one day he would be able to die too for the United States. Uh, 
because when his cousin came home, all of these people gave him and his family great respect and treated it like it was a huge honor that he had died for the United States. But, but over his life, um, things changed substantially. He was in the military, he was in the Air Force for many years, and he did very well as an airman. But like all Chamorros, even if you have this patriotic feeling, there are all these things floating around you which you spend a lot of your life trying not to see and trying not to connect. And so for Angel Santos, when those things started to connect in his life, it affected him in very tragic ways and it transformed him and it made him much more critical. Um, he, uh, one of the first, one of the main things, of course, was that his daughter died. Um, and at a very young age from a very serious disease, and it was something that shook him and it was tragic, but he later connected her death to chemical uh, contamination on, the Ander on Anderson Air Force Base in Guam. And so after his daughter had died, he had, at his desk, he saw reports which basically the U.S. military acknowledged that there was lots of chemicals in the drinking water on the base, and they knew it, and that they had been testing the water for many years, and they did not want to fix it. But they would test it, and then they would stamp classified on it so that no one would know that the drinking water was not safe. And Angel Santos, who, was, who had signed his life over to the U.S. military, naturally became upset because he was on that base and his family was stationed on that base. And they were drinking the water on the base. And the U.S. military, despite him offering his life for them, would not even do him the respect of warning him not to drink the water on the base. And later he also learned that what his daughter had died from is very much tied to the chemical that was in abundance in the water, one of the chemicals that, and that actually uh, a congressman from the United States had, had had hearings on it and they had found that throughout the U.S. bases around the world, a lot of people had died, young children had died in similar manners, overloaded with particular chemicals. And so um, that was one thing that made him question his patriotism to the United States. Another thing is that Angel Santos, like many Chamorros, did not have land after World War II. Where many Chamorros had land prior to the war, lots of them had lost the land, been kicked off the land to build the bases that are on the island today. Now, Angel Santos's family's land was taken and it was never used. It was just jungle. What had once been farmland for his grandfather, the U.S. Navy had taken and they just let it sit there. So while his family lived in apartment buildings and did not, were not able to work as their ancestors had, the military sat on their land and the, the land of thousands of others, thousand, a thousand other families not even using the land. And so they demanded, they protested that it be given back. 
And when the U.S. refused to, saying that the land was important because they may need it someday, Angel Santos and other families squatted on the land. And they, they even went so far as to build on the land, even though it was federal property. So Angel Santos snuck cement and concrete <laughs> onto the base <laughs> because he was former military. He could go on the base. So he would go on, and then him and his friends, they laid down a foundation, and they started to put concrete blocks up, because they were, if the military was not going to respect them, then they would just take the land back. And so him and other families, they were arrested for that, and they were throw, put into court, and eventually they were convicted of uh, trespassing. But these two things in particular, affected Angel Santos to the point where he sought out other people who were very interested, who who also were angry about the way things were. And so one of his closest friends was Ed Beneventi, who was a more of a musician. <laughs> he was a he was a DJ and stuff like that. But Ed had always had questions. He hung out with Therese Terlahi and Mike Phillips at UCLA and one of the things, and so they were drawn to each other and they started to ask, who else do you know who's crazy? Who else do you know who the family says, man, Kadukusi Onghed or Kadukusi Ed, they're so crazy. And so they started to reach out to all these people, bringing them together, and they formed a number of different groups, such as the Chamorro Chetlus, and then um, later Nashon Chamorro. But this movement was very important because, <clears throat> because what Angel Santos and Chamorro Nation did is they brought protesting to the, to the, to, into the streets. They blocked military facilities with other families. Um, they had sit-ins, they had hunger strikes, and they really shocked the consciousness of the island and of the U.S. military and the federal government. Um, because Chamorros up until that point were, were very quiet and respectful for the most part. That was my answer. <laughs> I just remembered now. I was, I was going to say the same thing, but he did the line, and it, was, it reached him first. <laughs> but, and so, the, the, the thing you got to, so, in terms of independence and decolonization, one of the biggest things that Nashon Chamorro uh, achieved, and, and uh, it was a Swedish anthropologist who said this first, I'm just uh, quoting him, was that prior to Angel Santos and Nashon Chamorro pushing these issues into the public consciousness, if you asked a politician on Guam, what do you support for Guam's political status, they would not know how to answer the question. They would say, we just the status quo is good. We don't need to change anything. Maybe we'll change the Organic Act. The issue of political status was very controversial, and most politicians would not want to touch it. But after Nashon Chamorro pushed this out there, every politician now argues that Guam deserves something more. They may not say independence, but they will say that Guam needs more and deserves more 
because of the way that they pushed this idea of protesting and challenging American authority into the public sphere. Because Ricky Berdell used to say, for example, that when he goes to Washington, he doesn't go to beg, he goes to collect. But that was a, just a cute way of, of, of describing him begging for money from the feds. He didn't really do a lot of things to effectuate that. But Angel Santos put himself, and him and others, put themselves out there basically saying, you know, if you, we believe in the future of this island and we believe in these fights so much that we put our bodies on the streets, you know, we, we risk our bodies in hunger strikes, we're willing to go to jail for it. And, um, and it changed the way that we talk about these things. And now we're in a different stage where in the last election, for the first time ever, a third of the political candidates said that they would be open to Guam becoming independent. And that was impossible before. Even if they would say Guam should get Commonwealth, Guam should get free association, you would never have a political candidate come out and say Guam can be independent and Guam could be better off independent. So that is a, and um, one of the, you, you, did, you only met him briefly, but the senator who was at the meeting today, who left and said, hello, he said hello to you and then he left. Um, he is one of those who has come out and said that he would, he would support independence for the island if it is, it is chosen. And so that is part of that is the work that, that we have done, <laughs> that we have all done in small ways in helping people under educate and learn more about the issue and also feel more confident, feel more pride. Did you want to add on to that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is something that I, I feel to uh, to acknowledge too that um like uh, his effect on um you know bringing bringing this issue into public consciousness and um in that way um you know Making making our work a little easier um, in in this decade. So, yeah. It wasn't for Angel Santos, people would throw things at us. Yeah. 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 When he interviewed the uh, local Chamorro, he was a little bit negative about uh, Andrew Santos and his being. So that's why he asked the question to you guys. No, I mean, that was the reason why he... And so, many people know Angel Santos or remember him for one main thing, and that was when uh, he jumped over a military fence. Mm -hmm. And in the, it was part of a, a protest because the US military was flying very low mm -hmm. over a civilian area, and it was uh, bothering local residents. And this is when the uh, Tiza, where the airport is, was a US military base. And so, um, Angel Santos and, and Nashon Chamorro members had gone to the U.S. Navy and they had met with the Admiral and they had asked and given a statement from the village residents saying, please stop doing these flights because it is disruptive and it, it upsets the people. 
and many of those many of the people who lived in that area were survivors of World War II, and it was traumatic. Especially some older women had complained that it, it that they would have nightmares. They would they would have flashbacks. Um, because when the planes would fly overhead and then the house would shake like that. And so the the Navy ignored Angel Santos and them and said, we're not changing our our training or we're not changing anything for, for what some, some villagers say. And so then they decided to have a, a protest outside and they were feeling very frustrated um, because people were not they felt like people weren't hearing them or taking them seriously. And so a small group of them decided to not just protest, but jump over the fence. And so they did, and there was, it was barbed wire, so they got cut up. <laughs> they got cut up too. But when they got over to the other side, they were immediately arrested. And the local media was there filming, and Angel Santos, he spat on the man who was arresting him. And for many Chamorros, that's all they remember about him, is that sign of disrespect to authority. And so, and so that's why I can, I can definitely see why some Chamorros would have that memory of him, um, because they saw him as at, when he was alive in particular, he was a symbol of disrespect for authority. But it has changed since he died. Now you can get a sticker with him and put it on your car. As some people in this room have. The mm. Hita? I know. Oh, oh, not the Hita, but now... Um, there's another one? There's another one. Oh, the t-shirt companies put one with his face. Oh, I see, I see. I see that. I'm waiting for the So... I'm I'm curious, like so the the commodification of of Angel Santos's uh, his uh, his figure. Um, do you think it has uh, the same meaning that it would have a decade ago? Like he is a symbol of of um, of like counter, you know, a symbol of uh, resistance. But um, you know. It's. I mean, you you look at you look at what happened in the United States with Martin Luther King Jr. Is that you have a, a, tra a transformative figure, but then once they die, a sort of conservatism sets in, in which a lot of different interests can claim his legacy, and certain parts of what he stood for are edited out. Like, for example, what is almost always lost is that Martin Luther King Jr. was pretty anti-war, and he was also very invested in class equality, and he had some elements of sort of class struggle that he took very seriously, as, as people point out. Uh, the day he, when he was assassinated, for example, he was there to intervene in a, a, a worker strike. Yeah. I think a trash collectors or a garbage union. And so it's the same with Angel Santos. It's that when Angel Santos was alive, he was very controversial and very divisive. But once he dies, everyone can have a shot at claiming his legacy yeah. and being pro which is, which is why, um, and you know, we saw the same thing with Ben Pangolinen, <laughs> was that all of the people who hated Ben Pangolinen, the day, the day of his funeral, they're all like, oh, 
Ben, we miss Ben so much. He's what a great true tomorrow statesman. What a great guy. But while he was alive, they were all trashing his name, backstabbing him, mm -hmm. and and it was the same with Angel Santos. It was um, Angel Santos what what surprised me the most when he died because that was at a time when I was in graduate school and I was first becoming sort of an activist was when I would listen to the radio it was amazing because people who had fought against him for years would call into the radio and now say you know Angel Santos more than anything he was a real American hero they would say you know America's about freedom that's what Angel Santos stood for he was a true American and when I would hear that, whoa, oh man, this is what happens when you die. <laughs> it's that like vultures, everyone comes and tries to pretend that you stood for this. Oh no, next it's going to be Angel Santos stood for Native American genocide, and Angel Santos stands for war in Afghanistan. Like once you, once you go and you're no longer a direct threat, people then work to, to co-op your legacy. Mm. It, it always happens, you can't. You can't avoid it. But, but there is still power in it, right? Because so long as it's a, so long as Angel Santos was attached in himself, attached to himself, he, there's always this limitation, right? But if you look at figures like him and then Ricky Berdalio, once you pass away, then people can speak about you in these messianic ways yeah. that you were larger than life and and the thing is that that is what can inspire the next generation yeah. is that they see you as this larger figure that they are drawn to so, so it's you know it's co-opted in some ways but you know it's it it always happens that's why you somebody once said that even gandhi wasn't gandhi <laughs> ありがとうございます。ありがとうございます。ありがとうございます。ありがとうございます。ありがとうございます。ありがとうございます。ありがとうございます。ありがとうございます。ありがとうございます。ありがとうございます。ありがとうございます。ありがとうございます。ありがと
I met uh, one of his children once when I was in Okinawa. You met his what? Uh, one of his children, his daughter. Oh, his children, I see. I know, can I just... あの、それまさんの子孫にあたりますね。あの、娘さんかな。あの、息子さんから。ああ、ってことがあるっていう。そうです、あってことある。So, I think we want to wrap it up. We don't want to do all all nighter. So, you can go ahead. Yeah, so um were there any other questions or uh god, I feel there's so much that I want to know um, from from you guys' perspectives, and um, that I feel like there's so much more we can talk about, definitely. But um, uh, before we wrap up, uh, are, are there any other questions or any any other sentiments that you guys wanted to share? Or thank you for such a good opportunity to talk about. Guam and a special guest from Okinawa. It's very good opportunity for me to study about Okinawa. <laughs> Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. So I really appreciated you too because I I have hmm? luckily I have very great opportunity to join this activity and talk with activists to be to be to independent and Okinawan people. So yeah, I really appreciate f for you. Thank you. And um, I guess I, I want to thank uh, Ronnie and Miguel for, for setting this up. Um, I think uh, one of the strongest things that we can do is uh, you know, to to see ourselves as as connected, um, you know, especially in these uh, anti-colonial struggles. Um, a lot of times, where I feel like, uh, you know, where where uh, where imperial powers or where you know where the greater powers uh, succeed is uh, their ability to to make us feel divided, make us feel separate. But us being here in this space um, together, and uh, being able to talk about. Uh, um, our own struggles and our own perspectives and seeing how we all fit into this uh, greater Asia-Pacific puzzle. Uh, it's, it's powerful stuff. Uh, I'm really, uh, really inspired now to uh, get this uh, podcast back up on a, on a consistent schedule. Uh, and I, I hope this isn't the last time that uh, we all meet. So uh, I hope we can do this in the future and stay connected. So thank you. Thanks, everyone. Ihinengainga independent guahan. Paraba ina fanataknya iman tomoro. Pawatutuli tapti diretsota komo unnashon gihilutano. Gini minet gut niha imanyanata. Jadi guina zata nui famago umtamotna. Ina keke fan manungo. Jana keke fanet don todo i tautosiha. Nimanyasaga gi ininatano. Pawatana let fetna ida guahan. Ni todo i ninasenyata. Kosiki senyata fan latla maulet motna. Fanatsu. Hita latmon.